and welcome to Surf Soup Talk Story. This is Donna K. Lau, the host of this podcast. I just recorded my first episode with author of Blue Mind by Dr. Wallace J. Nichols a marine biologist, water lover, turtle nerd, embarrassing dad, and creator of useful words. I have a strong connection with water, as I am sure a lot of you may too, so I knew the perfect person to set the tone of my new podcast. Blue Mind, the surprising science that shows that being near in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. In this new episode, I talk to the author of Blue Mind, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. We talk about the Blue Mind book, how water affects us, and its benefits. We also talk about my cartoon character in the Surf Soup series, Honey the Honu, a turtle and another magical turtle story. I realized that I just spoke to someone who saved our sea turtles and they are actually coming back from extinction, which is such great news. We also speak about the recent wildfires in California and loss and a 112 day trek along the Pacific Ocean from Oregon to Mexico. Round blue pieces of glass plastics in our oceans, and so much more. We had a beautiful, deep conversation. I was very moved, and I learned a lot. Are you ready? So let's take a deep dive into my first Surf Soup Talk Story podcast episode. I hope you love it as much as I loved recording it. I want to welcome you to the Surf Soup Talk Story. And I wanted to do this podcast because I think it's fun to meet interesting people. And I have a really interesting story to tell you. So when I was uh, painting the turtle behind me, he took me to all kinds of art galleries and TV appearances, and I was everywhere. And I'm like, this turtle is a rock star. And so what happened was the next day after the gallery, you followed me on Facebook. All right. <laughs> okay. And I, and I don't think you would even have noticed. You probably just saw that I was a water person. And I looked and I went, oh. A turtle doctor. And I flipped out and I flipped out and flipped out. But the really serendipity thing about it was I bought your book. And then I matched you together. And I'm like, (laughs) so magical, beautiful things happen to me all day long. So I just put that in there. And I love your painting. Thank you for painting it. It was super special because I know you were like, oh, I'm going to follow these water people. And when I I put the dots together, I go, I have to have them on my podcast, the first (laughs) thing. 
like as soon That's as I great. drop. So I'm very excited. Um, okay, so Blue Mind, the surprising science that shows that being near, in, on, or underwater can make you happier, healthier, more connected, and better at what you do. So you wrote a book called The Blue Mind, and I'm here with Wallace J. Nichols. You like to be called J, right? Correct. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about The Blue Mind. Well, it's the world's longest subtitle, and you just read it. Uh, that's one thing I can say about the book. But I, you know, I tell people I, I didn't want to write this book. I wanted to read it. and. Um, I couldn't find it when I went to read it. I looked everywhere. I looked in the libraries and out of print books and I looked online. And um, then I tried to get some smart people to write the book that I wanted to read so that I could read it and use the knowledge in my work with sea turtles and for the ocean. And um, I failed at that. I wasn't able to convince anybody that they should write it. And one day I pitched it to a man named Dr. Oliver Sacks, who has written some one of my favorite books and is a water lover himself and a neurologist. And he said, it's a fine idea. You do it. And either it was just a diss. <laughs> it was just sort of like, leave me alone. Or he, what, however he meant it, it doesn't really matter. Um, I took it very seriously and spent the next uh, four and a half years writing this book, Blue Mind, that you mentioned. And I, then I was able to give him a copy and say, well, you, you told me to write it. So I did. Here's, here's the book. Uh, he passed away a year later. So fortunately, he was able to pass that message along. And so I, I know you understand why I'm sharing this because um, he, as it, he held a really powerful place intellectually in my life. And I admired his mind very much. And when he said, you do it, uh, it was not a suggestion. It was more of a, a mandate or a command. And I, I heard that and I did it. And then to, to give him the book completed, um, to kind of close that loop, so that's not really what you asked about. You asked more probably about the ideas in the book, but that's how it happened. And, and because you, you started with the story of your turtle painting is how we met. Um, I thought I would share that background to the book, but the blue mind is about a very familiar feeling that we've all felt hopefully, which is when you're near and on or underwater, you just feel better assuming that you want to be there. It's very different if you don't want to be there. But if you want to be in the water, if you want to be in the bathtub or in a rainstorm or swimming in the ocean with a turtle um, or floating down a river, it feels so good. It feels, yeah. it's, it's medicine, it's healing, it's, it's, it's like a prayer, it's like a, um, it's like a tonic, it's, it, it makes the day better to say the very least. And, and I always, I felt that way ever since I was a kid. And I used this idea unknowingly to get through some tough stuff. 
And it's probably the reason why I became a marine biologist is because uh, I felt so much better underwater or near the water. And I needed to align my um, life with that feeling. And one of the options is to be a marine biologist. There are lots of options. Uh, and so I chose that one. Um, but I always wondered, what what is it about that feeling? What is that thing? And does it have a name? And can we talk about it more, please? <laughs> can we teach every child about their blue mind so that they know about it and they can practice it uh, and live live a, um, a more whole life because of that water relationship? And so I wrote a book about the science uh, yeah. behind that feeling. So that's what Blue Mind is about. Well, I definitely was gravitated to the title. And then I said, what is this? This is a book that I wanted <laughs> because I'm a surfer. I'm a swimmer. I'm a triathlete. And I was one of those kids that like, let's go home now in the pool. And I'm like, no, can I just have 15 more minutes? And Not done. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, and I want to be in the rain and I don't want an umbrella, you know? And so all of that that you mentioned, and I have a really... Uh, awesome connection to your book because when I left the studio, all I kept wanting to do and be in was water and it healed me. And so when I found your book, I immediately gravitated towards the science. And so thank you for writing that book You're because welcome. I wanted that book too. And I had felt it. It it feel it feels magical, you know, every time you're in the water. And you're so much calmer, you know, there's this like balance that you get. And I know that every kid that loves water must know exactly what we're talking about. And so, I, with, yeah, I, I mean, think you're right. I mean, we just didn't have a word for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, good to have words for things. It helps. It helps. Yeah. Um, Sometimes helps it helps to label talk. it. Yeah. And, and I think that the name has stuck and it's, I think it's, I think it's been useful and that's was my goal. And the other goal is to make this idea that, you know, so well, and you've lived um, and you understand, but to make it common knowledge, because it truly is a privilege. And you say you're a surfer and a swimmer and you love the water and the rain. And it's such a privilege. And I didn't, I didn't realize that completely until I started sharing my book and met people who had never been submerged, never in their lives. They've never been underwater in their entire life. They don't know what you're talking about when you say it feels so good. And so that just really fired me up to um, not just preach to the choir, although we should uh, make sure the choir understands. Mm -hmm. the music, you know, uh, but to go beyond to the people who, who are, you know, dry, <laughs> who aren't getting yeah. in the water, who when it rains, they run inside and they don't even think that it might be um, wonderful to get wet in the rain. Yeah. Um, and so that's been, that's really what drives me is that um, the people who need to understand Blue Mind, who just have no idea how awesome this water planet is because they haven't really experienced yet for whatever reason, whether it's a cultural thing, whether it's a personal fear 
uh, social economic barriers, lots of reasons why people may not have a, a, a good relationship. Well, maybe their water, their local water is not in good shape, could be polluted. Um, you know, I think of uh, my friends and colleagues at Flint, Michigan, where the tap, literally the tap water is scary, deadly scary. Um, that's a that's a broken relationship to water that needs needs fixing and healing. Um, but that's really what motivates me is that making Blue Mind accessible, common knowledge to all people and practicable by everyone. And uh, that's a big project, <laughs> it turns out. But so what, talking to you is part of that expansion, you know, because you then talk to people I'll never know. And they talk to people that you'll never know, and on it goes. Yep. And so there's so many health benefits to water. And even in Chinese medicine and um, feng, feng sui, we call it in my dialect, which is like feng shui, I think they say it in the Western. Mm-hmm. It's healthy to be near water. They teach that. It's a big mm-hmm. thing with water element. And you have these um, round blue pieces of glass. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. I don't, you know, I was looking for them right when I got on. I usually have one in my pocket, literally. And, I, and so I'll... that connects you too with the water because it reminds you kind of like a gratitude stone or something. That's right. They're blue marbles. They're made out of recycled glass and they're just basically ways to say thank you to anyone for any reason to start the conversation about the connection to water. But um, I want to go back to something you said that every single cultural tradition, every single spiritual tradition, every single sacred text on planet earth um refers to this idea that water is medicine and not just hydration and hygiene, not just physical medicine, but emotional and spiritual medicine. So every single tradition. And so the, you know, the Judeo Christian tradition, there's the 23rd, there's many references to water in, in the old Testament, new Testament, the 23rd Psalm uh, is one of the most quoted passages from the Bible. And it's, the one I'm going to paraphrase it, and I may offend some people by my my interpretation, but it says, "When the shit is hitting the fan, get your ass down to the water, say it the Lord." That's what it says. Love um, that. It's basically when when you're having a really bad day, or week, or year, such as we are, go to the water because it will soothe your soul. That's what it says, and. That, that passage was written 3,000 years ago by a guy named King David. This is way before the science, obviously. I love the Psalms. They're just yeah. so beautiful. And that one, that's the Blue Mind Psalm. That's the Blue Mind Red Mind Psalm that oh, says, that. you know, when, when, you're, when you're experiencing red mind, which is anxiety and stress yeah. that's, that can lead to breakdown, depression, uh, burnout, um, go to the water lay down by the water let it soothe your soul there you know and so this is this is not a new idea because that's my point and i'm not taking credit 
for it in any way, shape, or form. I just put a name on it and gave it a nudge forward because modern humans, for whatever reason, many modern humans have forgotten that water is medicine for our minds and our bodies and our hearts and our souls. And um, as a result, we've let our waterways get wrecked, you know, and all over the world, literally. We've undervalued them. And when we undervalue our water or each other, mm-hmm. bad stuff always happens. And so this conversation is about how do we fix that value equation so yeah. that we properly value each other and our waters and, and nature. Um, so that's really what we're up to here is rebalancing that, that value equation so that we look at the water and we say, yes, it's for hydration and hygiene and the beautiful animals live in it. But guess what? It's also for peace and it gives us freedom. It gives us creativity. It's a place we can go to mourn and grieve when we need that. Yeah. It's a great place for romance, the edge of the water. Uh, it's almost a, it's almost yeah. a cliche, all of these things, are, but we, we forget. And uh, hopefully someday they'll teach what we're talking about here in, in grade school to all kids, you know, and, and I know some cultures they do. Uh, we just need to expand that to, uh, to everywhere. So, uh, that was kind of one of my surprises, but you're in one of my picture books. Um, as the turtle scientist, and you're going to be teaching the turtles that all you need to do to feel better is go to the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going to draw you now with your, oh, great. You know, um, so you'll see that that was, I was going to save that as a surprise, but oh, yeah, great. I want to do that to kids because yeah. I know the kids feel it, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to say what it is. And they know it automatically. And I love the way you started your book, how you are in your mother's like, you know, um, womb and how you mm-hmm. related that to water because we forget that mm-hmm. we started out with water. And I just love that. I just had this like really beautiful picture of like a mother and then the baby and mm-hmm. and our close relationship to water. So I got yeah, it's ask- easy to forget. Uh, it's easy to forget that that you know we all spent plus or minus nine point two one months swimming around in our own private ocean called Mom, and in the dark, and it was pretty quiet, and it was the ultimate blue mind experience, and we all did that for nine months. I know that's a damn long time to swim uh, and to hold your. Well, you're not holding your breath. You're obviously getting nourishment and and oxygen through your umbilical cord but that's a long time to be underwater and we all did it and that's who we are that is who we are and Mm. that's where we come from and then we kind of forget it you know you have this boom you're born and the lights are bright and the air is dry and you kind of forget about that nine months yeah uh but I think it's all about getting back to it. And, you know, for parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles out there, make sure, you know, you get the kids in the water, make sure you do it safely, make sure they love it, make sure they're skilled because it's, um, it's, it's part of childhood and it's part of being human. And, um, it opens up well, three quarters of the planet to us to explore. So yeah, that's pretty cool and- too. 
So do you think that there's hope for us to, um, you know, cause I'm a big, obviously uh, surfers are advocates of the ocean. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, do you think that there's hope for us to teach the children and maybe fix kind of what's already broken? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic just by nature. So I, you know, apologize in advance if I seem overly optimistic in the midst of, you know, the breakdown that we're experiencing. Um, I think the ideas, the big ideas, and I'll, I'll, you know, this may sound arrogant, but I think Blue Mind is one of them. Um, if we take the big ideas that we know to be true, that we know to be healing, that we know to be based in science, and we really get serious about sharing them and making them part of our lifestyles, but all of us, eight, all eight, nearly 8 billion of us, yeah. and we make them part of the educational system and the conversation and, and not, not be shy about it. I think the, um, I think there's hope. I think that, you know, and among the ideas is that, you know, blue mind and the idea that water is healing, but also I think the idea that exercise is good for us and that eating real food is an amazingly important thing and eating more plants and, um, music is healing. I think if we all, just really knew that and practiced it and shared it. And then, you know, if all the hospitals in the world had a float tank and a water feature and music therapy, and I, you know, it sounds hippy dippy, but you know, the science leaves no doubt that this is all really powerful. So, and I, these things, and you're, yeah, yeah, it's, it's real. Yeah, so that gives me optimism and hope, and and it really isn't. It's not like it's an expensive thing to say or do. Um, it's not like we're waiting for the technology to be invented. We already have water. We already have music. We already have plants. Yeah. So let's eat more plants. Let's play more music when we need it. Let's get in the water or near the water more and value all of those things um and you know so it sounds simple it sounds you know whatever if people are into that rolling their eyes at these kinds of conversations they will but at the end of the day when you when you check in you know and and really think about it um what makes you feel good like great music beautiful water you know, good, healthy food that you don't regret eating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's not that complicated. So the reason why we don't do it is there, you know, strong um, interests and powerful forces that would like us to move less, eat not so good food that they sell and not heal ourselves through music therapy and aquatic therapy. Um, do we prefer that we buy the pills and what they're selling? So that's what we're up against. They're well-funded. Um, I think the way to, the way around that is not monetary. I think it's conversations think like these. A, yeah. I think we're going through a shift. 
Yeah. I think I have hope too. So I appreciate your optimism because I have a lot of hope. And, um, you know, I'm just, I watch people in Hawaii, how they take care and like sift the sand, you know, from all the tiny little plastic. And when I first saw that, I thought this is impossible. How are they going to possibly clean the beach up? But they're out there every day doing it. And it just inspires me to watch them and to go and help them, you know, sift the sand. And I just am amazed at what people can do if we can all collaborate, you know, all together. Yeah. So. Well, that's such a great example, and it's it's a powerful metaphor, and it's real sand, and it's real plastic, and there are real people really sifting it, and it's a, a powerful metaphor where we need to sift the sand, we need to, of the world, literally, yeah. we need to, um, and, you know, sift the sand of our minds, we need to sift out the crap, yeah. the plastic that's that we've let into our minds. Um, and we literally need to sift it out of the sand and we need to make sure it doesn't get into the sea turtles anymore. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I just read an article today about micro, uh, plastics in, in baby sea turtles and hatchlings. And, uh, been working on that for a long time and seeing the, re I mean, the research is clear. Um, there's plastic where it shouldn't be. There's plastic in us, there's plastic in the ocean, there's plastic in sea turtles, there's plastic in the sand. And you know, we know we know what to do. Um, yeah. Less plastic pollution, mm -hmm. make less of a mess, and start sifting it out. Uh, and we can do that. You know, it's it's um so, in the, in the uh, realm of possible. I wanted to ask you about the turtles. <laughs> of course, like, um, so my painting is one of my characters. It's Honi, which means kiss in Hawaiian. And I mean, I'm just blown away that you were a marine bi biologist and you research sea turtles. Mm -hmm. And how long did you do that? Well, I'm still involved with sea turtles um, quite a bit. Um, work on a number of projects, um, but I, I studied sea turtles in graduate school back in the '90s, and um, worked to understand where their migration, put satellite transmitters on them, and track them across the ocean, and oh. learned about their what they ate, how fast they grew, and the things that were threatening them sometimes the fishing activities or the hunting activities and then um so there was a lot of science going on but then i realized that i could publish science all day long and have a great career and i know the 10 people who would read my papers yeah. not very many um oh. and the sea turtles would go extinct unless we did something more than just study what was harming them and a lot of scientists back away from from things at that point, but I dove dove in and and started working with turtle hunters to wow. um, work with them to protect the turtles because they're the only ones ultimately who would be able to do it. And so that's kind of where Blue Mind started. I I had to learn a bit about. So if I said to you, okay, there's a bunch of turtle hunters in your community and they're hunting the turtles to extinction your job is to stop them. 
-hmm. from doing that, how are you going to do that? And for a lot of environmentalists and you see, you know, the films and um, they would say, well, let's just go in and, you know, ram them with our truck or our boat and let's stop them with our bodies and with some kind of nonviolent protest, which is maybe semi-violent if you're ramming your ship into a poacher's boat. Um, I did not take that approach. <laughs> Wow. Um, some some people would say let's humiliate them shame them embarrass them let's uh, get secret cameras and go in and you know uncover what they're doing and i didn't do want to do that either we just worked with them and said hey um if you keep hunting these turtles they're going extinct and then everybody loses and they're like yeah no we don't believe that I'm like well let's Let's look at the trends here. Let's talk to your grandfather, your great grandfather. Let's go visit some of the places where they used to nest. Um, and then, so slow, but collaborative. And it's like, okay, if you're, if you're in charge of saving these turtles, what would you do? So we're asking the turtle hunters, how would you save the turtles? And we have meetings like that. And we would listen and say, well, that's a good idea. That's, not as good of an idea that's a terrible idea that would work this could work and so we got the best ideas and then we started so, doing those things so, so it was very clever so you just went in and just communicated yeah what treat people thing. with dignity and respect yeah i and what i do what i do know is if you humiliate someone you don't just humiliate them and you don't just make an enemy of them. You make an enemy of their children and their children's children and perhaps their children's children's children. So humiliation is not even a last resort. It's just not, not the right approach. And, I, you know, you might say, well, when people are really, really bad and I really, really don't like them, it's okay to humiliate them if they're evil or whatever. And I, I just disagree. Um, I think if your goal is perpetual war with another group of people or another person, humiliation is a great idea. If you want perpetual struggle and um, yeah. if you want to solve a problem and move on to the next problem that needs solving, don't, don't go with humiliation. Don't go with shame. Um, wow, that's don't go really with anger. That yeah. And I, you know, it's, yeah. It's um it's very popular to uh use fear and guilt and anger um as a strategy. It's very, you know, in politics and in you know a lot of different movements kind of take that route. Um and you know, I listen to people who would argue that that's the only way you're going to get through is just bring out the big guns and um but I think it, it leads to perpetual war, and I'm not interested in that. So what we did with sea turtles was we, I mean, literally the people today, I, I'm, I'm a cheerleader. I, I can't, I, my, go, my job was to put myself out of a job. And because the people I work with are my friends and they still like me, they insist that I stay involved. But I, um, my role is vastly diminished by design. Uh, and the people who are running things are 
many of them are former turtle hunters and they're wow amazing they're just amazing scientists they're amazing communicators but they know um they know what's up and yeah. they can speak to this situation in a way that you know i'm i'm an american man with a lot of education i'll never be able to garner the respect uh, in the fishing communities that they do um and so that's why it works and you know chewy lucero for example is you know one of the head dudes at the grupo tortuguero in, in baja california mexico and um he's like an astronaut he walks into the room and the other fishermen are like well respect for that guy and because he's a fisherman he was a turtle hunter grew up eating sea turtles but he's saving them and really for real they're making a comeback um oh, yeah and if we had humiliated people we would we you know persona non grata you wouldn't be able to walk around in a fishing community and do anything because you'd yeah. be you know people would hate you um it's not the approach we took so but that taught me a lot about and that's where blue mind was born i would say you know yeah yeah, yeah. from the turtles yes so <laughs> the turtles are so magical i mean just amazing creatures do you have a like a magical sea turtle story <laughs> oh wow yes i do <laughs> um there's this one turtle uh that i like a lot her name was adelita and Adelita was named after the daughter of one of the fishermen that we work with. And a guy named Martin Arce, his daughter was named Adelita. And she, the girl, was named after the Mexican revolutionary figure, Adelita. And she is best known. There's a, a great song in Mexico called La Adelita. It's a, a corrido. Can you sing it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to even try that. I'll, I'll get my guitar and I'll sing it. But if you're if you're ever in a place where um, there are mariachis, whether you're at a party, a quinceanera, maybe a Mexican restaurant, at some kind of fiesta, um, and you go up to the mariachis and say, "Could you play La Adelita?" They will look at you like, "Well, wait, how do you know that song?" Because it's a very important song. How do you song. say it? Say it again so I can pronounce la, it. La, L-A, La, Adelita, A-D-E-L-I-T-A. La Adelita. So if a little yeah. Chinese girl like me went in there and say, can you play La Adelita? Adelita. <laughs> yeah, they would say, yes, we can. What? And what? How did you know? How, um, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a very popular, uh, well-known song. And La, and Adelita herself was an um, important figure in the Mexican Revolution. She ran, um, the story is that she ran, she, she represents the women who ran the food and the arms to the front line. So oh, kind wow. of, I wouldn't say they're unsung heroes, they're true heroes, mm -hmm. and they're celebrated. Um, but whenever you see, and this, this sounds silly, but you know, in California, you would see Adelita depicted um, there, there may be a taco stand named after her, and oh. maybe there's a, a, a painting of her. So if you see a um, a woman with bandoliers and guns, and she's running, uh, and her hair is flying, that's Adelita. That's that's what that image is is about. And so 
the song tells her story and um it's a song about love and it's about revolution and so anyway, the little girl is named after Adelita, and the turtle is named after the little girl. So this is a revolutionary turtle by name. That's kind of why I'm telling you this long story. So we put a satellite transmitter on Adelita, the turtle, with the help of uh, Adelita, the little girl, and her dad, the fisherman, Martin, Martin Arce. And we released her into the Pacific Ocean off the west coast of Baja, and she started to swim home. Um, little did we know she was going to do that. She had been in captivity for a while. She was released and then her instinct was to go home. Turns out home was the other side of the world in Japan. So she made this um, 7,000 mile, 12,000 kilometer or so migration home to Japan. Um, first animal ever tracked across an ocean. Um, we put her data on the internet. We were told you're not supposed to share your data in real time, but we did it anyways, back in the mid nineties, the internet was brand new. So next thing you know, millions of kids and colleagues around the world are tracking Adelita as she's swimming across the biggest, bluest wilderness on earth making her way from a small fishing village in Baca, New Mexico, to a small fishing village in, in Japan called Isohama. And um, we just got to spend the, it took her 368 days. So we spent a year virtually uh, with Adelita as she swam pretty straight right across the, it was pretty amazing. Wow. Uh, and uh, made it to Japan. and. Basically, that turtle rewrote the oceanography textbooks, changed the way we think of animal migration in the ocean because nobody thought turtles could swim uh, across an ocean. And nobody thought any animals were swimming across entire oceans. And, you know, this is just the mid 90s. It's not that That's long so ago. So cool. Yeah. So it was just really, really fun. So if you, if you're interested in, uh, Adelita the turtle, just do a, do a Google search for Adelita, A-D-E-L-I-T-A, and the word turtle, and you'll see actually, the you can find the video of her swimming away from our boat when we released her. It's like 10 seconds, and she swims off into the, into the distance and disappears. I'm going to do point, that as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. And you'll see, so what you'll see in that video, she swims a little bit, and then she pauses. With her flippers, as if she's thinking, okay, there should be a wall here because she lived in a tank for 10 years. And she pauses so they shouldn't hit her head on the wall. And there's no wall. And then she starts swimming again and she disappears and she swims 12,000 kilometers. Wow. So, speaking of like lessons from the turtles, that one I share a lot because we all have invisible or imaginary walls that hold us in that make us stop make us pause sometimes make us turn around they they hold us in our tank but they're not real we just think they're real and we can swim through them and if we swim through them there's the whole world out there there's the whole pacific ocean we can swim for a year but if we just pretend there's a wall that's holding us back 
we're just going to stay in our little, we're going to stay in captivity, so to speak. So Adelita delivered that, that gift of, of a story. And I, I think it's magic. You said, story. you said you have a magical turtle story. I think I, that's one. I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> you're singing <Yeah>. my heart <laughs> she's a oh great God. turtle and i'm i'm really glad i met that turtle and uh, we got to spend some time together yeah so the turtle that is in my show uh got caught by a balloon oh i'm teaching about balloons and his little arm didn't grow in so i'm trying to teach inclusion yeah but i went to hawaii and i was talking to this lady that plants coral and she said, there's a turtle that swims with me to plant coral. And he only has one arm. And I'm what he's missing an arm. And we're like, oh, me and my friend looked at each other like, that's Honey. <laughs> and we she she named him because she said his name is Honey. And I said, Can I use that name? And so turtles are just um, I mean, they're just so magical. Yeah. And, and well, and you know that Honu is is the word it's for Hawaiian. turtle it's hawaiian for sea turtle so honi the honu is perfect honi the honu <laughs> so i flipped out when um when i go uh, i said oh, are you kidding me a turtle doctor like i just like, flipped out and then i matched there's, you up with the book i mean it was such there's a, a bunch thing. yeah there's a whole bunch of us around the world that i'm not you know don't want anybody to think like blue mind that's yes. the whole thing and yeah my mom she, she told me when i was cranky when i was little all she had to do was stick me in the bathtub yeah happy right. as a lark and so i'm yep. one of those water people um so i read that you went on a 112 day trek along the pacific ocean 112 days along yeah. oregon to mexico Mm -hmm. Did you guys backpack? Like, what was that yeah. like? Well, it sounded like a good idea. And then we decided to do it. And I think it was a good idea after yeah. all. Um, it was great. I, I think um, I learned a lot from doing that. and learned um, that we're, we humans are walkers. We're good at walking. And, yeah. and we're good at walking long long ways and that's what we used to do a lot of as humans and i felt that i really did i it took me a couple weeks to get into really the rhythm and let all the baggage of modern society kind of wash off all the things that you think are important um like your job your career your email all those things but yeah, once that all yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> once you kind of got that out of your mind and all the little loops that spin in your head it was just walking and you know seeing way down the coast a headland and going okay that's our destination wow it's so far away wow. and then that evening you're there and you go wow we we did that with our feet and um so we did it when our daughter was a year old and so that was an extra challenge you could say having a, a little little you one on along your back. You yeah on your back. yeah yeah and uh just walked a bit every day and camped and then walked and ate and camped and um there was a group we started out with a, a group i think nine 
nine people and I think I ended up being the only one who walked the whole thing for various reasons. People had to leave or come back or had injuries. Um, some people went back and walked different pieces just to complete, complete it. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, the, the coast get getting to see the whole coast in 112 days on foot gives you a perspective, um, uh, how, what an amazing West coast this is and, uh, yeah. and all the places that have been protected and those that haven't and a lot of gratitude and admiration for the people who fought for protecting rather than just letting the whole damn thing get condoed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, believe me, I, I love staying in a, a place along the coast. That's really a, a wonderful thing that, you can do whether it's a condo or a hotel um if you're near the coast it's great and it's also great that we have these parks state parks and that have no houses or condos or hotels yeah. that you know um because the wildlife you know the, the the wildlife on land the terrestrial animals they like to go to the beach too i didn't really know that but deer will the deer will walk down into the inner tidal and lick the salt and eat things and the raccoons and the bears will go to the beach. Um, every kind of terrestrial wildlife will, you'll see their tracks on, on the sand in the morning. What and an so, amazing journey. It really was really. Uh, and, wow. um, and we decided, you know, on that trip the, where home was going to be and um, uh, settled in a place that we call the slow coast. Cause it's a, a very slow stretch of coast that's over the mountains from Silicon Valley, which is the world's fastest valley. But this stretch of coast is, you know, you don't even have a cell signal, ironically, and there isn't even a gas station near where we live. Um, so we, after that trek, we made that our home, uh, which is about 20 years ago, and, you know, built a house out of recycled wood and raised kids there. and. Um, you know, you asked me before we started our conversation if we could talk about the fires. Yeah, because um, I, yeah. I saw that you were cleaning up after the wildfires still. So there's still quite a bit of cleanup. Yeah, we lost everything in the fires uh, in August, our home and all the stuff. And um, now since then, been slowly, you know, there's, a, there's just a lot of cleanup, you know, all the metal and all the ash and all the stone yeah. and whatever whatever didn't burn and then all the stuff that did burn and there's obviously concern about getting it all um because there's you know you don't really like to think of your home as being toxic but just think about it like you know yeah. the stuff oh. inside your mattress and all the pipes and anything plastic and the walls and the paint and the refrigerator and it's just when it all burns you don't want it in the soil and you don't want it in the creek um, so that's a big response. That was a big responsibility getting all that cleaned up. Right. And, uh, and then there's a bunch of dead trees that we're taking down so they don't, they're no longer hazardous and, um, and trying to do it all while not just crying <laughs> every second, <laughs> you know, it's heartbreaking, it's heartbreaking work. And it's, a, it's heartbreaking to have everything you own burn and, 
heartbreaking, you know, for the kids and everybody who we shared our home with. And um, so it's just been, that's been a process, a learning process of, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's letting go or it's holding on. Sometimes it's, <laughs> it's both, you know. It's a very unusual um, feeling mm-hmm. because I thought of you, you know, when I saw that and I just, I mean, your heart breaks, you know, you just mm-hmm. don't know how you can help. And at the same time, I wondered if you had said, like, why, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. um, I had uh, went through an experience and I took all of my beautiful designer clothes and stuck it in space bags mm-hmm. and I sucked them all up and I kept out three black dresses. And while working on this project, I thought it was a very interesting thing, you know, about mm-hmm. attachment and makeup and all my things I have. And I went through a similar experience and was just wanting to bring that up, you know, to talk to you about it. If you had felt kind of the same thing that I did, I drive a 1991 minivan that I'm funding now for, you know, that I crack up and it's taken me on 30 years of a journey and, you know, leaving that bad ex-boyfriend I drove off in it, you know, all these things, you know, and (laughs) it was such the attachment and I have such an attachment to that van, you know, Mm -hmm. and then I think about all the loss that we've had this year, which Mm -hmm. is so many people with loss. And Mm -hmm. I just wondered, like, you know, I mean, it's stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's um like you said, it's a, it's a unique experience um, that I don't really hope that anybody has. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I have it, or I had it, so um, and I'm in, I'm still in it, and it's still heartbreaking every day that I go out there. In a way, um, one of the things I've learned uh, is that you can feel heartbreak and you can feel two emotions that don't seem compatible at the same time and you should just let that happen so you can feel heartbreak and fascination at the same time Uh, you can feel you know deep grief and elation so i you know just for example you break up with your boyfriend and you're heartbroken but at the same time, you feel 20 feet tall. And, you know, and, and then a second later, you're feeling the heartbreak is the dominant thing. And then a second later, again, you're feeling like I'm free and you're driving your minivan and you're like, the windows are down and the radio's cranked and you're like, wahoo, this is great. And then two seconds later, you're bawling. And, and so that's okay. You can, you can feel two, three, four emotions that, are not supposed to be compatible, uh, you know. Wow. And I, so looking at this pile of mangled stuff that was my everything in terms of things, my home, artwork, all the kids' stuff, family heirlooms, um, so many unfinished projects, data, turtle data, uh, collections of th- cool things, bones and turtle stuff and um, all burned and all in this pile. Heartbreaking for sure. 
And then you're looking at it and it's fascinating because you're like, what didn't burn and why? And what melted and is now just a weird puddle of melted stuff. And um, how hot was it? And what the hell was going on? Like, I would have liked to have seen it, but I don't really want to even imagine it. And so you're, the fa- as a scientist, fascinated, or just as a human, fascinated and heartbroken. And so, you know, you're not supposed to feel fascination when you're heartbroken, but sometimes you do and it's okay. Yeah. And, um, and I can compare it, and this is, I haven't said this out loud, but I've thought it and I'll just say it because we're having this kind of conversation. Yeah. When my when my father died, um, and he had had in and out of poor health, and and it was very 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 hard on my mom, and she carried a big load for a long time. Um, and I remember when he when he died. He died on Earth Day uh, during a full moon. Um, I remember my mom feeling a lot of guilt about the sense of relief that she felt along with the utter heart, complete heartbreak. I mean, they, you know, they loved each other and, you know, there was just heartbreak and, um, for a long time, it took her a long time to get over his passing. Uh, and just the guilt that she had about the feeling of relief that, um, it was hard on her when he was alive in his later days, really hard. And she carried it and um, wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, But, you know, I kind of, it's kind of like that. I kind of, I wish she could have owned that sense of relief and not felt the next, you know, emotion of guilt on top of that. Um, so being fascinated by the fire that took our home, I tried not to feel guilty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just leaned into being being fascinated. And now the redwoods are starting to throw off new green leaves. It's a whole other level of fascination. What, what happens to a forest after a catastrophic event? And I'm fascinated by that and, st- and heartbroken by the trees that we lost. Yeah. Um, and all the, you know, the wildlife that either was ran away or got burned. Um, so that, you know, I just, I guess that's kind of the, one of the insights. And then is, there's new growth, right? So yeah. Yeah. And sign of new growth. You can I mean, be that's such a, heartbroken. And fascinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just so heavy to have to go through. And, um, you know, I just love to learn from people constantly. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why I like to do this podcast, because I just mm-hmm. have such a passion to learn mm-hmm. and just to listen deeply, you know. So thank you for letting me do that, because I really was listening deeply. And I and sometimes you don't get those um, learning experiences right away. But I know that I'll always remember this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I think it would kind of um, help other people when they go through any kind of loss, especially mm-hmm. now. Um, I used to live under the redwood trees. I had my first studio in Aptos, 
Do you know where that is? Of course, yes. <laughs> and I used to live up by the post office, and everybody always oh. says, "Oh, I know where that is, the post <laughs> office." Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I just found that the redwood trees—they're um, so magical. Again, like the turtles, you know, mm-hmm. they just emit this like beautiful like spirit i felt like they Mm -hmm. spoke to me especially at night when the stars Mm -hmm. would all come out and Mm -hmm. i mean at the same time i grieved like i mean i had such compassion and i was grieving what you guys were going through Mm -hmm. and then also the trees i mean Mm -hmm. my heart was just uh, but you know i think it's really nice that you shared kind of your experience because it kind of helps other people I think when you share and and just kind of like you know um your honesty about how hard things are mm-hmm. I mean well you, some- you know that that point the um uh I my daughter our daughter left for college the day before the fire and uh had to call and let her know for her freshman year in college and she went to she's at syracuse university in new york far about as far as as far as you can get yeah Uh, we have a a good relationship because she wasn't trying to get far away but she wanted a a different view of the world she's getting it um but i had to call her and, and and let her know that everything was gone and i couldn't even speak so i got off the phone and through my tears wrote a letter literally crying sometimes i couldn't even see what i was writing i wrote her this letter and sent it to her and then it got shared and you know how sometimes things get shared and then ping around ping around the world in five minutes um i got contacted by a book publisher and they said we'd like to turn the letter to your daughter into a kid's book and uh, I said, on- only if she can be my co-author, because <laughs> she is the reason I wrote the letter, and she's uh, very clever and has a good eye and a big heart, and um, it's her letter. And so that book is called, it will be come out next year, and it's called Dear Wild Child. And so the reason I mentioned that is because you said, um, maybe this, you know, sharing the story can help others. And so we're hopefully sharing the story through that letter. Um, story of loss, and it's not a happy story, <laughs> but it it is the lesson that I tried tried to share with my daughter is that your house did its job. It got you it got you through, and you're now in college. It did what it, it raised you. It's in you. All of those memories of our home, not just the physical house, but the redwoods, the banana slugs, the creek, the food, the parties, the friends. Um, it was a good time. That's all in you. You carry it. It's on your back. It's in your. It's in you. Take it. Like thank it. You know um, what you come back to will be different. You know I don't know exactly what, but um, oh. but what but what we had is still you still have it and. And you never, we didn't never really, it was never really ours in the first place. You know, the belonged to the forest, that, that spot. We were just paying rent, you know. Yeah. Um, 
And so maybe others will, who experience catastrophic loss of some kind, will find something useful in, in that, in that, in that letter. And, um, so that we'll, we'll publish that book. I'm really looking forward to, uh, doing, you know, going to bookstores with my daughter and doing readings and discussing it with maybe parents and kids that show up. Um, so if, if there's a gift in the experience, there it is. It's, uh, that's, get to, that's really, that's going to be an awesome book because we all suffer loss and hiding loss from kids, you know, I mean, whether it's grandparents, a mm-hmm. dog, I mean, it's powerful. Yeah. So what's the name of that um, title again? It's called Dear Wild Child. Dear, oh, which. So when it comes out, you'll have to let me know and then I'll read it on my kid podcast because I'll oh, that's great. stories. Yeah. And that'll be really fun. Or you could come on and read it. Yeah. Wow. You, any, well, but anything you want, basically, I'm game. So. I mean, this was such a great conversation. And I want to thank you for teaching us about neuroscience and water and letting me listen very deeply and holding space for you to be able to talk about it because i mean this was like it meant so much to me um that you would you know share all these really amazing things and also your loss that was so you know and i mean it's really kind of like that for life. We can't sugarcoat things for people all the time. Like things are like cookie cutter and this is the way it's going to be. Everyone suffers some kind of loss. And that's kind of how I found your book. Because when I left the studio, I was saying goodbye to the studio and that I was going to be on my own. And I was scared. (laughs) And I started reading that book and I was like, I'm in water. You know, this stuff works. And so thank you for writing that book because I wanted that book. And by you doing all the science behind it, I mean, it just reinforced everything for me. You're very welcome. And I, and I should say when I was writing it, um, writers have different ways they talk about their writing process. And for me, um, I remember every day I was writing, I was thinking of you. I mean, I was thinking who the people or one per I don't know who's going to read it, maybe one person, but I was thinking of you reading it and writing to you, even though I didn't know you or any of the other readers, but I, and different writers, do, some people write for themselves. Some people say I'm, I'm writing this for my mother or a fictional person they're writing to. And I was writing to this group of real readers that I haven't met yet. And trying to imagine um, you reading the book and saying, I, I needed this and I get, I get it. And it, oh, thank you for explaining that. Um, and I just wanted it to be obviously legible, <laughs> understandable. That. And so, but so thank you for saying that. And that I, I hear occasionally um, that people feel like the book was written for them. And that makes me happy because it was literally yeah, it feels like that to me so now that yeah. i understand your writing process <laughs> it's 
it makes sense because it really was something that I needed. And when you, for me being like, you know, loving science. And then um, I worked in fitness for 23 years, which is a weird side to me because I'm an animator. Then I go into my fitness, but I love to learn how things work and the body and wellness. And I study all these different medicines and the water medicine. I mean, mm. it just really resonated with me. So thank you. I loved it. And You're I know welcome. other readers are going to love it. So it's, I mean, go out and get the blue mind. I mean, <laughs> and just, I mean, if you just stick your feet in water, you instantly yeah. feel better. Sometimes I'll just go get a bucket outside, <laughs> fill it up with water <laughs> and stick my feet in ice cold water. And it I'm feels just, so good. Oh, yeah. it's just I'm new again. And even uh, talking about it, we, we, we light up you know so. that's true even listening to somebody so <laughs> you're talking about it makes me happy I just, and it's i just it's, love it, yeah and so yeah. um well i will always support you i mean right. thank you with you know with my blue mind and you know because we're water protectors it's a mm -hmm. no-brainer mm -hmm. but thank you for such an amazing wonderful talk oh it's and, really great to talk to you thank you for reaching out Jeez, that's yeah, thank an you honor for to, caring. Really, yeah, it really touched yeah. my soul. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. and I know Excellent. it'll touch others. Yeah. I mean, I could cry. I'm just, <laughs> so over the moon. This yeah. was deep. <laughs> it's super deep. No yeah. pun intended. <laughs> So there it is. I hope you loved the first episode of the Surf Soup Talk Story podcast. I want to give a very special thank you to my guest, Dr. Wallace J. Nichols. Thank you, Jay, and thank you for a wonderful Surf Soup Talk Story. To support Dr. Nichols, he is on Patreon under Blue Mind, and his book title is Blue Mind. Surf Soup Projects are about protecting, preserving our waters, the oceans, and our environment, and I believe that together we can make an impact to protect it and clean it. Thank you so much for listening. I know you have a choice. We are all in the surf soup together.